This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. Malware and phishing attacks, ACH fraud, and more continued to plague the financial industry. As we look out on 2011, what emerging online threats will banks and credit unions face? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Terry Austin, CEO of Guardian Analytics, a third-party provider of online banking security solutions. Terry, you've reviewed results from our recent Faces of Fraud survey. What trends that came out of those results stand out to you? Well, thanks, uh, Tracy. Um, a couple things jumped out. First off, uh, very consistent with results that we found, one of the statistics was that 76% of fraud cases are um, discovered by the actual customer who's been victimized rather than the financial institution discovering the fraud or detecting the fraud before the money leaves the institution and the victim uh, finds out about it. So, you know, that's a, that's a pretty disturbing statistic, and it says that the financial institutions aren't really able to detect this fraudulent activity before the money leaves the, uh, leaves the institution. And then another thing that stood out is, is this focus, um, this continued focus on trying to uh, grow end customer awareness as a way to combat fraud. And, you know, it's this expectation that educating the end users or the end customers is going to be really effective in the face of this sort of daunting cybercrime epidemic. A, a note that I've heard from quite a few industry experts, and when we're talking about the money that's actually being funneled out of accounts, of course that relates to ACH fraud, and ACH fraud is a growing problem, yet many banking institutions don't really seem to rank it as being the most threatening fraud they face. Do you agree that other threats pose greater concern, or are bank credit unions simply missing the mark when it comes to the fraud that they're focusing on? Well, I think if you if you look at the data and you look at the ACH fraud problem and you also looking at, at the phishing and vishing fraud problem, you know, those things sort of add up to a lot of what occurs in online account takeover fraud. Um, and I think what's what's missing a little bit is an appreciation of the scope of that problem. Fraud that originates in the online channel or through the vulnerability of online that leads to ACH fraud or wire fraud or even contributes to checking fraud or debit card fraud. These things are all very interconnected, so it's hard to separate them, and I think that's what's underappreciated is just the scope of the uh, vulnerability that originates in online and then perpetrates itself in these other parts of the banking system. And a lot of what you're talking about there, Terry, relates to how financial institutions detect fraud. Now, according to our survey, 55% of respondents say that they continue to rely on manual reports to identify fraud. In the online world, how reliable are manual reports and detection? And how much fraud is slipping through the cracks and or not being detected at all until after it leads to a major financial loss? Well, I think this goes back to the earlier statistics that 76% of fraud cases are learned about from the end customer actually noticing it in their uh, account statement. So, you know, an overwhelming amount is actually falling through the cracks and getting out the door. I mean, to, to try to rely on manual reports or log files to detect fraud, it is almost by definition going to be a reactive response. Um, it's not detecting the fraudulent activity before the financial attack. It's really after-the-fact um, remediation rather than proactive prevention. 
And would some of that be addressed if channels were more integrated? Well, well, certainly integrating channels, but also I think just um, leveraging the data and the information that the banks already have at their disposal. You know, they have an incredibly deep amount of information that they can gather through the interaction that their consumer or um, credit union member or merchant account um, leaves behind through their interaction with the banking system, whether that's online or through other channels. And by tapping into that data, integrating it, and analyzing it, they can really be much more effective at proactively preventing this sort of fraud. Now, I'm going to go back to the discussion about ACH. We hear quite a bit about ACH. It's you know, made quite a few headlines, and of course, the year 2010 kind of set the precedent for ACH fraud. But some experts have suggested the industry focuses too much on ACH fraud and not enough on preventing online fraud. Would you agree, and if so, why? Well, they're very interconnected. Um, we think that a lot of ACH transactions are originated in the online channel, and a lot of fraud occurs in the ACH channel because the criminal has first gained access to valuable information through the online account. So it's really hard to separate ACH fraud and online fraud. They're, they're tightly coupled and, and interconnected. And that's why our approach is to take a very holistic view of the entire ACH payment system and the online system um, uh, to enable the financial institutions we work with to, to see all of the data associated with online ACH wire um, and even checking um, activity because it is all interconnected. And do you feel that financial institutions understand that interconnectivity? Um, I think some of the leading ones do. Uh, a number of the financial institutions that we work with do, but as a whole, the industry um, does not have an appreciation for how uh, how interconnected it is. And the next question I wanted to ask, this is a nice segue, talks about the role of the vendor um, when it comes to fraud detection and security overall. In the online environment, banking institutions are often expected to be the so-called experts when it comes to fraud detection and prevention. But most institutions that are at least those that don't fall within, among the top tier, rely heavily on third parties and vendors for security and fraud detection and prevention solutions. What role, Terry, do you see vendors playing here where fraud detection and prevention are concerned, and what role should they play? Well, I think you need to think about the world of, um, of vendors as the sort of deep uh, fraud prevention and security experts like Guardian Analytics and the banking platform providers, because those are two distinct types of uh, providers to the banking industry. From the platform provider perspective, we really think their role is to enable, to help enable and allow access to all the data and to the platform so that solutions like Guardian Analytics can be deployed and integrated into the banking system. So, you know, we, we uh, actually interoperate on some of the leading uh, banking platforms like S1, Fiserv, FIS, uh, Intuit, um, and, it, and it's really important that we are able to cooperate with those platform providers to gain access to the data that we need to help um, the banks and uh, credit unions combat the fraud. Now, the debate over ACH fraud liability between banks and merchants is expected to heat in 2011, just based on the precedent set in 2010, which I noted earlier. Terry, from your perspective, how do you see this unfolding? Will banks ultimately be held more accountable when it comes to protecting their commercial customers? 
You know, it's hard to say. I know that there's been discussion about uh, Reg E being extended to include some categories of commercial accounts and and to extend the same kind of consumer protection, um, you know, that, that consumers enjoy under Reg E. But, you know, we don't really know if that'll occur. Um, but from our perspective, uh, the liability is not the big issue because really when there's a fraud event, everybody loses. The bank loses whether they cover the loss or not because they've taken a reputation hit, their trusted brand image has been damaged, there's often litigation that follows, which is very costly, there's huge productivity hits. Um, so the impact of these fraud events, whoever bears the loss, is profoundly negative for, for, all, for everybody concerned. So, um, you know, I think it's it's less about liability as it is about taking a really proactive stance to prevent the fraud in the first place. And you may have already answered my next question, but I'm going to go ahead and pose it anyway. Is it fair to ask merchants and commercial customers to take more responsibility for online fraud losses, or should banks be the experts in this arena? Well, you know, I think it's I think it's reasonable to ask merchants and commercial customers. Um, to be aware and to be and to take reasonable precautions and to be smart about how they access the internet and how they use social media and what vulnerabilities they expose themselves to but it's unrealistic to expect them to be deep cybersecurity experts and to take all of the detailed technical precautions that are often advised um, and to be that diligent just the overwhelming lopsidedness of this battle and the arsenal that the cyber criminals have to exploit those endpoints, um, it's just unrealistic to expect merchants and commercial customers to be able to equip themselves adequately to defend against that. And talking about some of the sophistication of some of these cyber attacks that we're now seeing, when we talk about phishing attacks, malware, and online breaches, banks and credit unions, of course, do appreciate the security concerns. And I'm going to go back to our survey here. According to our Faces of Fraud survey, 48% of our respondents say phishing and vishing-related fraud are the most concerning. Interestingly enough, though, only 20% of our respondents say that they feel prepared to fight and prevent phishing and vishing attacks. What do you take from that, and are banks and credit unions simply not understanding the types of technologies they should be investing in? Well, you know, I think you have to break the fraud event down into two parts. Um, there's the account compromise, and phishing and vishing are a form of gaining access to the account and compromising the credentials, as is sort of um, downloading malware from uh, from websites or from malicious email links. So there's a lot of different ways that criminals use to exploit the vulnerability of the endpoint and um, you know I think banks can certainly do more to to defend against that but really what they need to do is assume that there's going to be some level of endpoint compromise and equip themselves to detect fraud in the face of the fact that um, that some level of uh, vulnerability is always going to exist and the criminals are always going to find ways to compromise the endpoint so you know, by, by really looking more holistically at the complete set of data that the uh, end user creates when they interact with the banking system, uh, banks and credit unions can be, be uh, massively more effective at preventing this sort of fraud. And we, we see that every day. We see that kind of data being used to very effectively stop all sorts of account compromise, whether it originates from a phishing or a vishing attack or some other kind of malware um, 
download is being used to, to compromise the account, we've shown um, that, that a bank can be very, very effective at detecting and stopping that kind of fraud before money leaves the bank. And of course, going beyond looking at some of the information that they already have, doing more analytics, what about authentication? It's something that the industry is lacking across the board, and we've talked about authentication for a number of years. Cyber criminals have already circumvented most online authentication tools, such as one-time passwords. What steps do you see the industry taking to address authentication in the coming year? Well, authentication has been a classic cat-and-mouse game. Anything that the industry has introduced, the criminals have defeated and pretty handily and pretty quickly. Um, you know, we tend to think of behavioral analytics as a, as a form of continuous authentication. So even after the, um, the user has authenticated themselves using uh, passwords or account names or other out-of-band techniques, um, they still need to be monitored and they need to be continuously authenticated as they're interacting with the system. Um, so, you know, we see really behavioral analytics as an integral and interrelated step in the whole authentication process. And then if that's being done, um, I think uh, banks can use other selective, maybe more intrusive forms of out-of-band authentication, but use it selectively only for their highest risk sessions or the highest risk events they see occurring. And then it can be, uh, it can be deployed in a far more effective manner than it has been in the past. And Terry, how would a bank define a high-risk session? That seems like that would be a, something that would be relative to other things. How would a bank determine that? Well, it is relative to other things, but by taking this holistic view of the total behavioral history of the account holder, um, we've proven over and over again that they can be very effective at detecting and identifying the highest risk sessions because the behavior pattern has been altered in some way. So there's something unusual about the behavior of a specific online session or banking interaction that will really stand out um, and be, uh, be clearly identified as riskier than the other sessions that are going on. So it's just looking for those anomalies? Um, anomalies and, and, and high-risk um, events of, of any sort, whether uh, you know, it doesn't match what has uh, what's expected to be seen or looks unusual for that particular user or that particular account holder. And it really is very important to note that that needs to be done at an individual account holder level. Any kind of aggregation sort of dilutes the effectiveness of, um, of this sort of analytics. And that makes sense. And in closing, Terry, what final thoughts could you share with our audience about what they can expect to see when it comes to online fraud in the coming year? Well, you know, I think that... Um, I think the big thing is that this has been a lopsided war. The banks and credit unions can really be the heroes. And, you know, they have the data at their disposal. And, you know, we're working with dozens and dozens of banks and credit unions of all sizes, from uh, community level credit unions and banks to midsize and to very large financial institutions. And they're being very effective at stopping all sorts of fraud, whether it originates um, using the Zeus Trojan and, and, it, and it's like a man-on-the-browser type attack to, you know, any other kind of um, threat. We're really um, proving that the banks can be the heroes in this war. And uh, hopefully 2011 is the year that they equip themselves across the board and do more to stop this. Great. Terry, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from Terry Austin, the CEO of Guardian Analytics. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kim.
This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.